I don't know about y'all, but I'm actually like really excited about Justin being back this morning too, and the lesson that, I'm, that we're going to get. Like when you come back from an event like a lectureship or like camp or something, you always bring that little extra oomph, you know, that you got. Can you coming off that? So it's um, it's going to be like Jordan in the playoffs this, this morning. I'm excited about that. Um, some of y'all are too young to even get that reference brace, <laughs> but. Um, it, it, it will be exciting nonetheless. And y'all, we're going to pick up this morning where we left off last week. And we, um, and I did broadcast, and thankfully Justin's back for you people that are watching online, so we will have accurate dates and headings for lessons. Um, you know, it's baby steps, y'all. I'm just trying to keep this, keep this uh, ship afloat when Justin's not here to run the technology stuff. So the fact that we can even broadcast now is borderline miraculous, which is kind of what we talked about last week and in, um, in, in how uh, the apostles, kind of what they were about to do. You know, they were getting ready to embark on this, um, these, well, these commissions that Jesus was sending them out on. And in order for them to be adequately prepared for the work that they were to undertake, when Jesus was no longer here, they were going to need some help, right? And God knew that. So God promised them and us help. So much, in fact, that we just did like a 20-week lesson study on the Holy Spirit and His role in our lives daily and in our Continuing learn, continuing to learn, um, in our ability to evangelize, um, the Holy Spirit is vital for us. And y'all, He was also vital to them. But did the Holy Spirit just come about when the apostles were being commissioned to go and teach and heal in the house of Israel? No, thank you, Bob, for realizing that was not a rhetorical question. No, the Holy Spirit did not just begin then. The Holy Spirit was there in the beginning as we studied in exhaustive fashion in the Holy Spirit's role with us and with them. I love the fact that God knew what we would need in order for us, and I'm talking about humanity, not like us in particular, in, uh, in order for us, as in humanity, to truly believe and accept Jesus for what he was while he was here on earth. Turn back to the book of Joel. Justin's talking about the prophets. Well, here's your prophet. It's in between Hosea and Amos. For those of you in the Old Testament, we are going to be in chapter 2. In Joel chapter 2, beginning in verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will what? Pour out, Pour out my spirit. This is Joel here. 
This is Joel. He's prophesying. This is Joel telling what's going to happen. And not only telling what's going to happen, but who all is going to receive what's going to happen. And the, do you think that there's an accidental distinction here that he expounds in verse 29 that even the male and female servants are going to receive the Spirit? Do you think it's accidental that he says that? Do you think that it's significant that he says that? I kind of do, because it, it implies that this just isn't for those that have. This is for everybody. Because the Holy Spirit is for who? Who can receive the Holy Spirit? And I ask that, again, not rhetorically. Everybody. You got just as much chance to receive the Holy Spirit as I have just as much chance to receive the Holy Spirit as whoever's buying their bacon and eggs and Piggly Wiggly right now if they are subject to hearing the word and then following the subsequent plans in order to join the body of Christ. I say that because, you know, Holy Spirit's not just exclusive to those of us that are in this auditorium right now. The Holy Spirit is available to everyone. I, and it should come to pass afterward, afterward, after his uh, going back to heaven on the day of Pentecost. That's when it really started out. And we're going to get to that in a second. But that's what did, to me, this verse uh, <clears throat> talks about, and those who believe. Yeah. But we were talking about, you were mentioning when the disciples were sent out. Yes. Um, there was two times that Jesus sent them out. Well, the second time we assume that it's that they're probably included. When, are you talking about with the seventy? Yes. So it, it's it's a pretty it's pretty easy to assume that they're included in that group of seventy or seventy-two, depending on what your translation I says. We, I, I, I got on that. We ain't getting into semantics of that. That's a translation thing. But in that second commission, it's easy to assume based on the verbiage that's used in comparison to the verbiage that was used when Jesus sent them out two by two in the, in the group there. But um, the, I didn't want to get, because you may have talked about that because I missed that. Yes, week. we did talk about that last week. What all was required when they went out? Nothing was required except the tunics on their back. What are you talking about? Well, how much did the Holy Spirit, I think the Holy Spirit helped them. Well, they, they were time. given the ability to not only preach, but also to heal. And Jesus tells them, I don't want you to just go preach to the house of Israel specifically. I want you to go preach and heal. Which would be an indication that they were going to be superseding the laws of, of man and the laws of science. Right. They were going to be healing in a manner in which we cannot heal. They had been endowed with an ability given to them by Christ and the Holy Spirit to do something that was not possible to normal people on earth. We have great doctors here that when, you know, if I've got an illness, I can go to the doctor. They can give me some, you know, like bacterial. They can give me some antibiotics, boom, five days, 10 days, whatever, I'm good. Well, what these, what the apostles, as they were sent out to do, was to heal in a manner that I can't do. And then in that greater commission, not greatest commission in the sense of what we want to put titles on things. In that 
second commission where there were the 70 or 72, depending on your translation, they had the ability to do, it expounds even further on their ability at that point. It wasn't just healing them. They had the ability to cast out demons. I may be getting far from what you're talking about, but the healing and the doctors today heal. And I know that when a doctor today does um, a hip transplant or a knee transplant, you have some times of healing, and then you have the, uh, uh, oh, what's the term, to get back like together. Fit, like physical therapy, rehabilitation, physical therapy, occupational therapy. Because you have to walk again, you have to learn how to do that. Just like people who get artificial limbs, they have to learn how to walk on that. Exactly. But at that time, I'm just going to use the example of the uh, lame man who had been lame for 36 years. 36, 38 years, he healed him, and he says, get up and pick up your mat and go. They didn't take that physical therapy. That's they what I'm saying. We talk about two different kinds of healings. Them. We're not talking about nine months of rehabilitation after yeah. a knee surgery. We're talking about spitting in the ground, getting some clay, and boom, you're not blind anymore. I mean, we're talking about healing that supersedes the laws of man, that supersedes the laws of science, it but, is a completely different kind of healing. My thinking is it also so we know how to walk because we walk. We finally learned how to walk. They didn't know how to walk, and yet in their mind and the thing, they can walk like they had always walked. That is an it's that's a healing or something in the mind that we don't have, you know, nobody now has, of course. But I think just that, that, you know, you think he didn't know how to walk, and then all of a sudden he knew how to walk. It was not only a healing of the physical part, there's a healing mentally. And, you know, when you get into that, that aspect of it, there is a, a certain element of supposition. I mean, I, I could be paralyzed or, or without the ability to walk for a certain amount of years. I could walk people, I could watch people walk. I could watch movies of people walking. I could read about how to walk. So I don't know if we can necessarily say they didn't know how to walk. They just were physically unable to walk. But then with the type of healing that Jesus and the apostles had to offer, it wasn't a matter of being physically unable to walk. It was, you could walk. So, but that, and that's, that's kind of a little bit off topic about where we were going. But what, what we are talking about here is Joel is telling us, this is, this is what's coming. This is what's going to happen. Why do you think it's important that these Old Testament prophets foretold what was coming? It's proof. I mean, it's like... Validation? Yeah, about that. Yeah. And you, do you remember when, when Jesus was sending out his apostles? Where's the first place he told them to go? Israel. The children of Israel. House of Israel. So you don't think that those that those lifelong practicing Jews knew about Joel and his writings? And and these other and Isaiah and his writings? And Jeremiah and his writings? And Nehemiah and his writings? Like you don't think they didn't know about that? Of course they did. 
Which is about the time Jesus was in the uh, thing at his home, and he, he got up and read. They would do that all the time, I guess, in their synagogues. Somebody would get up and read from the scroll of the scriptures. So they had that. Absolutely they knew. So, what about a New Testament prophet? Bingo! John! Turn over to Matthew chapter 3. What was John doing in his ministry? This non-inspired heading above your ESV version of the Bible will tell you what he was doing. He is preparing the way. I love those, by the way, and I always mention that they are not inspired because they aren't, in fact, inspired, but they do generally, not always, generally give you a pretty good idea of what's to come. And this one tells you what John was doing. John, in uh, Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And um, then he goes on to say, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And what else was John doing? Drop down to verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John is telling, he is, he is prophesying the, the guy coming after me, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. What I'm doing is preparing you for what is yet to come and for who is yet to come. And John also indicates he's giving you a, a glimpse into what's going to be necessary in order to fully obey and believe God's will. Right here. He is, he's indicating that a baptism is coming with the Spirit. It's coming. He's telling you in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. And y'all, this influence, this influence of the Holy Spirit is essential in the establishment of the kingdom of God. It was essential then, and it's essential now. Now, it's vital. And it's vital to rightly judge the Spirit's work. But how are we supposed to do that? By verifying it in the Scriptures. Because there are so many errors, and we discussed this at length during my class on the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of errors that result from mishandling this very subject. I've spoken to people personally that don't necessarily understand the context of John chapters 14 through 16. And what I mean by that is that is a moment in time when Jesus was alone with his apostles. 
The words that we read in John chapter 14, 15, and 16 are words that Jesus has. And how do we know this? You go back to John 13 and you read the end of John 13. That moment in time is a very intimate moment between Jesus and his 12 apostles. Does not mean that it's only applicable. Those words there in those three chapters are only applicable to the apostles. Because y'all, the words of God are, are they're just as applicable to us. And I've made a correlation as we began this study on apostleship that just because we read these, these uh, verses of Jesus sending out people, putting them into the apostle the apostleship role that they're undertaking and sending them on commissions. It doesn't just mean that these folks here that we read about in these early chapters of the New Testament were the only people that are supposed to evangelize. But that being said, chapters 14, 15, and 16 of John are of Jesus speaking to his 12 apostles. They are sharing time there that we, we, we aren't there. We weren't there. It is a private observance of the Passover with his apostles. Turn to Matthew chapter 26. So why are we turning to Matthew when we just talked about John in those three chapters? Turn to Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew chapter 26, this is a a parallel of those chapters of John. Matthew chapter 26, verse, um, beginning of verse 19. No, back it up to 17. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says my time is at hand and I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. Now you can turn over to John chapter 14. Oh, really? I mean, you really could begin that in chapter 13. That is beginning when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. But here in John chapter 14, and John chapter 15 and John chapter 16, Jesus says, you know, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Jesus is telling the disciples, I've chosen y'all. Y'all have to go out and do the work because I'm not going to be here to do it. And that's what he's trying to tell the, the apostles. We have a big job to do and the big job is not going to be carried on by me. Because I have served my purpose. I've done the will of my Father. I'm, this is not scripture, what I'm telling you right now. This is what Jesus is conveying to them. That the, the continuance of the gospel is going to be in your hands. I've chosen you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That's John 15, 16. And when he prays, in John chapter 17. When he prays for them in John chapter 17, verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also 
for those who will believe in me through their word. So Jesus isn't just praying for those disciples. He's praying for everyone that will continue to believe in him through the word of those apostles. He's, he's talking about the fruit that should be remaining. Well, how are they supposed to do this? How are these apostles supposed to do this? Well, we go back to John chapter 14. And this was pretty much where we started and where we began the lesson on the Holy Spirit. These things I have spoken to you, this is verse 25. These things I have spoken to you that while I am still with you, but the Helper, anybody reading from a KJV? I know you've got a New King James, Alan. What's yours say there? But the Helper, the Holy Spirit. Okay, yours says Helper too, so that's the New King James. Anybody got a KJV? The King James Version. Uh, okay, well, I'll pull one up too. These things I have spoken to you being yet present with you, but the Comforter. So that's the word the KJV uses. Now I'm going to go back to the ESV because that's where I always read. What's that? 25th verse. 25th. The King James Version uses the word comforter. I don't have that. I have this. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. Now my thing is jumping all over the place. I don't... Oh, there it is. 26 comfort. Sorry. Uh, yeah, sorry. 25 went into 26. But, but the comfort, comfort so the Holy Spirit. What's that? Uh, Holy Ghost. Yeah, yeah. So that's but I, I just I use those two different translations. The ESV. I typically read from the ESV, but I, I use that that KJV translation because we're going to come back to that in just a second. Uh, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father sit, uh, will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance to all that I have said to you. So this is Jesus at the time talking to his 12 disciples. That's, that's how they're going to be prepared or equipped to continue evangelizing, to continue spreading the gospel. Jesus tells them, the Holy Spirit, he's going to teach you all things and bring to you remembrance of what I've said. Do you know what Thayer defines the word comforter? And that's with a, a big C. Thayer defines comforter in the widest sense, a helper, succorer, aider, assistant. So of the Holy Spirit destined to take the place of Christ with the apostles after his ascension to the Father, to lead them to a deeper knowledge of gospel truth and to give them the divine strength needed to enable them to undergo the trials and persecutions on behalf of the divine kingdom. That's what Thayer has to say in regards to that word that's found in um, verse 26 there of the King James Version where comforter is used. To lead them to a deeper knowledge of gospel truth and to give them the divine strength needed to enable them to undergo trials and persecutions on behalf of the divine kingdom. Last week we talked about that. We talked about Jesus sending out those apostles, and actually we talked about it the week before for a little bit too, about Jesus sending out those apostles. And when Jesus sends out these apostles, he tells them, it's not going to be easy. 
That's paraphrased. He, it, Jesus is trying to prepare them for what's to come because Jesus knows what's to come. And what's to come is going to be persecution on every level, some of which even results in death. But Jesus gives them consolation that they're not going to be doing it on their own. They're not going to be... Could you, could you imagine just putting yourselves in the shoes of the apostles for a moment? And, and literally sitting at that table with Jesus, having that Passover dinner with Jesus, and then realizing that Jesus is not going to be there with you forever. You know, it's, it's like when you've worked in a... And I'm certainly not trying to compare being an apostle to Jesus Christ to any sort of secular modern day stuff. But I mean, if you work at a place for a long, long time and you have a certain supervisor who's been there, maybe hired you on to start and then mentored you and worked with you and cultivated you for an extended period of time. And then it comes time ultimately for that that supervisor to retire or leave. I don't know if any of y'all have ever been in that situation, but my last job with with, uh, the Department of Agriculture, I was hired by a gentleman that had been there for 30 years. And I mean, this guy, as far as it was concerned with my job, I thought he knew everything. And then there, you know, within the last year, year, year and a half I worked for him, it was, I had to come to the realization that it was, it was his time to retire. It was his time to go and enjoy all of those years of hard work that he had given. Well, the apostles hadn't been with Jesus for 30 years. But they had been with him long enough to understand that this is the Son of God. And learning directly from the Son of God, I would imagine, is something that I couldn't even comprehend. You know, it's, it's really cool when we get to go and, and see like book signings or hear chapters read by the authors that actually wrote the books because you get some of the insights on, on why they chose certain things or how they... They specifically made certain characters in certain ways. That's a really cool thing that we have that we have the ability to do here, you know, on Earth in America and all over the world. I mean, authors go all over the world, but to study at the feet of the Son of God, I can't even imagine it. And that's what these twelve had done, and now they're being told, "I'm not going to be here forever." But just because I'm going to be gone doesn't mean the work stops. You've still got to go out and you've still got to spread this message. You've still got to go and expand the kingdom because I'm not going to be here. And I can only imagine what the apostles would have been trying to think or, or you know, go through or rationalize. And it, it actually tells us that they don't even really understand at this particular moment. But they're, they're going to understand. And, and Jesus, being full of love and compassion, and God the Father, being full of love and compassion, realizes that you know, we're humans. We make mistakes. We're frail. We can't do this alone. And so Jesus promises them, a, a helper, a comforter, if you will. 
to help lead them to that deeper knowledge of truth and to prepare them and condition them for the opposition and for the trials that they're going to face as they continue their work. Turn over to John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, at the very end of this chapter, beginning in verse 26, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus is telling them, this is the purpose. This is why. This is helping, to un- helping you to understand this manifestation of the Spirit. This is a special, special status that these 12 had. A special status that was stressed throughout the earlier portion of Acts. Norman, like you were talking about. This, this status that they had was, was expressed and stressed throughout many early or many of the early portions of Acts. Right. I don't know for sure how, but even when he was telling them this, that Comforter will be with you, I don't think they, because when he visited them after he was crucified and was born again, he visited them a couple of times when they were in this room. And they still showed what's going on. I think they probably understood a few things, but I think they fully, did that really fully come into the, the light bulb? The aha moment, if you will. On the day of Pentecost. So... Turn over to Acts chapter 10. And I, I mean, I know we can't have our favorites, y'all, just like we can't have our favorites with kids. I love Acts chapter 10. Justin Snicker, he probably likes it too. I love it. It's one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. It's one that I enjoy reading over and over again. And I probably enjoy it as much as I do because I'm not a Jew. Uh, but this also is one of those reasons why I stressed how we began the lesson this morning back in Joel chapter 2. I specifically stressed that ending of verse 28 and 29 when it discusses the endowment of the Holy Spirit onto even the male and female servants. Because in my mind, Acts chapter 10 is kind of going hand in hand with that. Acts chapter 10, how does it begin, Justin? <clears throat> Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. So, was he Jewish? No, he was not. No, he was not. But anybody reading those first, uh, those first few chapters, or first few verses of this chapter, you learn that Cornelius was in fact not Jewish. But if you continue to read, you also learn how the story of Cornelius ends. And I love the non-inspired heading 
over verse 34. Because we're just coming off this vision that Peter has had. And verse, verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. We, and then if you drop on down even further, down to uh, verse 39, and we are witnesses of all that he did in both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. This is showing that special place that the apostles served. But this promise here, this promise of the Holy Spirit that we have, it's related to the completion of the divine revelation of God. I mean, how, how did John? How did um, how did John end his his letter? Yeah. Oh, yep. In verse thirty-four, I know you said truly. I perceive. Nikki um, and James says in truth. So is. You know, back to Matthew um, or John 14, when he said the helper and the Spirit was in truth. So is he saying, by the Holy Spirit, I perceive that the Lord, that, that God shows no partiality. So, like my version says, in truth. So is he saying, aha? You know, it you know, very well could be another one of those correlations that. that uh, and then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Yeah, it very well could be. Um, I mean, Peter, Peter literally just had a vision. And, you know, this vision wasn't, it wasn't just something that he dreamed. Like, it was a vision that was given to him. So it, that, that very well could be. The spirit of truth in 14, you know, John 14, um, 17, it says the spirit of truth, so whom the world cannot receive. So that's why I was just yeah wondering if that's a the Holy Spirit writing there that hey, Paul's going, I mean, Peter's going, ah, I'm speaking this in truth and, through the Holy Spirit saying. And, and, you, well, and he, he's even called the spirit of truth. I mean, isn't, and that's yeah. beyond translation too, because that's even the ESV tells us that he's called the spirit of truth there too. So very well could be. And that's you see, that's one of those. I didn't, I didn't read that verse in um, Acts ten from the New King James when I was putting this list together. So yeah, I mean, it's it's entirely possible. Uh, it is entirely possible. Um, but. but Right, you know, we're, I've got about, well, it's 10.45 now. i got about a, a minute here that I'm going to take. So kind of putting the bow on this lesson. Um, you know, John tells you, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. Now, this is Jesus talking to those disciples, or the apostles there. 
Uh, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, there you go, has come, he will guide you into all truth. And then he goes on to say, and will tell you things to come. So Jesus is telling them, the, the, the apostles certainly had a special place given their relationship, their intimate relationship to Jesus. But the Spirit did interact with them in a way at that time that is different than the way he interacts with us today. But John even ends his, um, and I, I find, I've always found this very interesting, the way that John chose to end his book as he wrote through inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now there are also many things that Jesus did where every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. I mean, John's saying, y'all, there were so many more things that Jesus did that aren't recorded. But if I tried to record them all, the world couldn't even hold it. Which lends me to think about how special it would have been being one of those original 12, working so closely with Jesus and seeing firsthand um, the things that Jesus did. Uh, I, 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 it, it's, it's pretty incredible. And the apostles are certainly specified as special recipients of the Holy Spirit. Uh, now, hold on one second. We, we ain't got time to get the whole, whole big long thing. So, uh, not, I'm not trying to cut you off, but we'll begin it next week. Because next week we're going to talk about how other lesser miraculous endowments did occur uh, that weren't necessarily on the same scale and scope as the Holy Spirit gave to the apostles. So hold what you got. You got to think hard, Norman. I'm going to need you to exercise those brain muscles. Keep that in until next week, and then we'll pick up right there.